Thank you, Pippa. Good morning, everyone. Morning. It's lovely to see you. Beautiful day, isn't it? Gorgeous, lovely November day. Welcome to those of you here in the chapel. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, it's lovely to be able to come together and to worship. For those of you that um, don't know me, my name's Suzanne. I'm one of the chaplains here. And it's lovely to be able to spend this time with you this morning. And um, we're going to begin by singing two songs, actually, one after the other. The first is a declaration. Well, they're both declarations of a sort. The first is, um, we believe in God the Father, maker of the universe, and in Christ his Son, our Saviour. Um, it goes on, Jesus, Lord of all. And then we're going to sing a song that's very similar, but it is personal. I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. And men, uh, you're going to have to work hard in that one because there's a part for you. So um, I guess a few ladies might help you out. But um, the first is, in a sense, a corporate declaration. The second a personal declaration. So at the beginning of this time of worship, let's stand and state what we believe. We believe in God the Father. Thank you.
some pretty powerful words that we've been singing. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe he's here now. So let's talk to him. And I'm going to invite everyone to talk to him quietly, out loud, in tongues, in English, in your own language, whatever you would like to do. But let's talk to him now and tell him that we believe he's here. Tell him that we believe he is the Lord. We tell him that he's, we know he's got the power. Tell him we love him. Lord, thank you that you have been here waiting for us this morning, excited to meet with us in this place today. Thank you that you are here standing in our midst. And Lord, in a sense, whether we can feel your presence or not, 
it doesn't deny the truth. You are. You are here. Thank you that you know us by name, each of us. We are known to you. You see us, you see our struggles. You see our joys. You see our stresses and strains. You see the things that we don't even share with those closest to us. You see it all. And you love us. And our response, Lord, is to love you, to worship you. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. Maybe there are situations in your life right now that are anything but peaceful. But he is the Prince of Peace. I give you praise for you, Lord, are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God. There's none like you. Let's sing as we um, continue to worship.
Yesterday, I was standing in a pharmacy waiting for my flu jab. And I couldn't help but overhear the conversation that was going on behind me. I mean, I wasn't trying to listen. It was just, you know, happening behind me. And it was a dad and a little girl. She was probably about four, something like that. And she, this was a pharmacy in the middle of a superstore. So, you know, there were stuff, lovely stuff. And she clearly wanted Daddy to buy something, and Daddy wasn't buying. And in the end, he said, if you are good today, I'll buy it tomorrow. And I smiled. She settled down. That clearly was good enough for her. And I smiled, and I thought, it's that age-old formula, isn't it? If you're good, you get rewarded. Good behaviour equals reward, and it's a formula we know well, and we've been brought up on it probably. We've probably used it ourselves. We use it to ourselves, and um, most of the time it works. I guess what changes over the years is what constitutes the work. For the little girl, it was good behaviour at that moment, and what constitutes the reward changes over time. And that has relevance for um, the subject I want to share with you today, which actually was one of yesterday's um, lectionary readings, although the lectionary reading was given in Matthew, but I'm going to use the version that is in Luke, and I will explain why. It's the healing of the centurion's servant. And it's a story probably that you know well. Um, Jesus was approached, in essence, Jesus was approached by somebody um, who was a non-Jewish person and um, unnamed, one of authority, and Jesus was asked if um, his servant would be healed. The servant is healed and Jesus is amazed at the faith that is shown. And it's told by both Matthew and Luke. And in essence, the story is the same, but Luke gives us details that Matthew doesn't. And I had never noticed this particular detail before. And when that happens, my attention is captured. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 7. It'll be on the screen, verses 1 to 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening... He entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. How many of you thought that in all these stories of the centurion and his servant, the centurion had the conversation with Jesus? I did. But Luke says he didn't, and I'd never noticed that before. It's a story of a sick servant, but actually, it's a story of so much more. Just to compare Matthew and Luke for a minute, because I think there's some interesting things we can, we can pick up. Matthew uses a different word for servant than Luke. Luke uses the traditional form, um, the word that is used for slave. Matthew uses the word that means a child, a boy, somebody young. Matthew, the request is to heal this boy who is terribly tormented by whatever wrong with him is wrong with him. Paralyzed, the word means, with waves of torment coming in a real trial. Luke records the words that basically mean come and save his life. Rescue him. It's a word that actually has got sozo as part of it, you know, that complete healing. I couldn't help but wonder, as you do, if there had been some sort of terrible accident and the boy had been badly injured, a great deal of pain. Whatever was wrong with him, and I'm speculating there, we get an impression of critical need. It's urgent. Come now. Come, come now, it's immediate. No time to be lost. In Matthew, the centurion himself comes to Jesus. In Luke, he doesn't. In Luke, he asks some Jewish elders to go and find Jesus. I wonder if he didn't want to leave the sick boy, or perhaps there was something more to it than that. Perhaps it was something about the centurion himself being a Gentile. Don't know. But I think we will pick up a hint of perhaps why he didn't go himself in a minute. And the Jewish elders come to Jesus and it's very clear they think highly of this man. A Roman centurion, the Jewish elders, not a partnership that we find very often in the Gospels. But these Jewish elders think a lot of this man. They pleaded on his behalf. They begged Jesus and said, the centurion is deserving of your attention. Why? Because he loves the Jewish nation, this man, they said. Because he built the synagogue. And at that point, I thought, oh, I wonder if I've been to the synagogue that's built on the remains of the synagogue that this man built. And it's very likely 
that the foundations of that synagogue are the synagogue that this centurion gifted. Oh, that's quite a thought, isn't it? Whether we look at Matthew or Luke, the imploring to come and heal this boy is unmistakable. The reasons the Jewish elders give for Jesus to respond and to heal is because the centurion is a worthy man. This man deserves to have you come and do this for him. He loves our nation. He's built our synagogue. Look at what he's done. He deserves this. Nothing to do with the boy. <laughs> it's all about the centurion. The centurion is a worthy man. That's why he deserves to have the request answered. So when Jesus goes with them, no words are exchanged at this point, but Jesus goes with them. Is he going because the centurion is a worthy man? Is that why he's responding? The centurion deserves this. Such a trap, isn't it, for us? About being deserving of Jesus' attention. Like the little girl yesterday. We earn our rewards. We behave. Jesus answers our prayer. Is that how it works? <laughs> we earn favour with him. And he responds. We know it's not like that. And yet, that um, kind of good behaviour earns reward is so steeped in us. It's very hard to get away from, isn't it? Even in our relationship with God. How worthy am I? And we get caught up in the two extremes. Either I am worthy and I deserve to have God do this for me, or I am so unworthy that I deserve to be overlooked. And neither extreme actually is very helpful. On the face of it, it looks like Jesus went because the centurion was a worthy man. And he walks with them and he gets close to the house. And in my mind, I think the centurion is kind of looking out the window and he sees them coming. And actually, before they get to the house, he sends out another delegation with another message. Don't come in. Don't come in. Curious, isn't it? Because the first message, the message of the elders, was come, 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 come. And now the second delegation, the friends of the centurion, are saying, don't come. What's going on here? I wonder if the Jewish elders put their own spin on it in the message to Jesus, hoping that it would win the favour of Jesus to come. This man deserves it. See what he's done for our community. But his friends are saying, don't come in to the house. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And he goes on, I don't feel I'm even worthy to come to you. That's why I've sent my friends. But you say the word, Lord, and my servant will be healed. Interesting to see the difference in attitudes here, isn't it, between the Jewish elders, the religious people of the day, and this Gentile Roman centurion. Even the words that are used 
are different when they speak of worthiness. Because the words that the Jewish elders used when they said this man is worthy, they are talking about the kind of worth that you weigh like gold in scales. He's been weighed, so to speak, and he passes the test. He holds value. Look at what he's done. The centurion said, don't come because I'm not worthy. And he's talking of personal worthiness. He's not talking about what he's done. He's talking about who he is. I'm not adequate for you to come under my roof. I'm not sufficient for you to come into my house. It's a different assessment of worthiness. The yardstick of the Jewish elders was all about what he's done. The yardstick of the centurion, I suspect, was Jesus himself. And that's astounding humility coming from this man who is a Roman, a centurion, a man of authority in his own right. He even says, doesn't he, via his friends, I tell this one to go and he goes, I tell that one to come and he comes. My word is done. But I think the centurion was measure, measuring his worth and his authority against that of Jesus, the only true measure, the only true yardstick. So often we measure our own worth against the wrong things, don't we? I was reading something the other day. Um, I think it was on the BBC News on, the, um, on my iPad. Um, and then when I tried to find it yesterday, I couldn't find it because things drop off, don't they? But basically what it was was talking about the power of social media influencers and uh, not just people but adverts and the things that the pictures we see the things that are portrayed and it was basically saying we are bombarded every day with pictures and images and um, kind of illusions if you like that tell us what we should have in order for our lives to be perfect you know the perfect face the perfect body, the perfect makeup, the perfect weight, the perfect clothes, the perfect present, the perfect Christmas, the perfect dinner, the perfect setting, the perfect family. And of course, we compare what we see to what we have and it doesn't kind of work, does it? And the strength of their persuasion hits us. You know, if I have that toy, my child's Christmas is going to be perfect. If I have that pair of shoes or that makeup, I'm going to look perfect. And then it doesn't work and we fail to measure up and we are disappointed over and over. The centurion was measuring his worth against Jesus when looks and shape don't figure at all. The centurion shows humility, but he doesn't lose sight of the fact that this boy needs healing. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, even though his roof was probably palatial. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. He is acknowledging the authority and the power of the word of God.
And he explains, he understands what authority is. He has it himself, but not in the way that Jesus has it. He says, speak the word, he'll be better. The depth of faith that this man has, the depth of belief that this man has, amazes Jesus. And he says so. In fact, he's so awestruck. The word means that literally he's astonished out of his senses. It's the same word that was used of the disciples in the upper room when Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection. It's the same word, astonished out of his senses. Imagine Jesus kind of turning around to the crowd and saying, oh, wow, this man. Did you notice what Jesus prayed for this boy? There is no word, is there? It just says that the friends went back into the house and found the boy healed. An unmiraculous miracle. But I don't think the story, in a sense, is about the healing. I think this is about the centurion. I think Jesus was responding to what he saw in the centurion, who, in a sense, was responding to what he saw in Jesus. Because it isn't, when it comes down to it, about how worthy we are, is it? The truth is, we are not worthy. But the truth is, we have been made worthy. Because the death of Jesus has made us worthy. But that's not our worthiness. It's the worthiness of Jesus that we can be clothed in, steeped in. So what about the faith of this man? Does it depend on how much faith we have? Jesus didn't go around telling people they'd got to have faith. He talked about faith, but he didn't say, you've got to have faith, did he? What did he say? <coughs> Believe. That's what he said. Believe. This centurion believed what Jesus could do. And because of his belief, God can flourish that into faith. Belief is a matter of the mind. Faith is a matter of the spirit, and that's God's gift when he sees our belief. So this man's servant was healed. It's called grace. Getting what we don't deserve. So does that might mean that my prayer will always be answered because I have, I'm made worthy in the name of Jesus? No. But it does mean that Jesus will always do his best for us. It's just that sometimes I get the words of the prayer wrong. It's called grace. So we're going to sing as we ponder that. Jesus, lover of my soul, all-consuming fire is in your gaze. It's all about you, Jesus. For your glory, 
your fame. It's not about me. As if you should do things my way. No. You alone are God. He wants to hear the cries of our heart. But you alone are God. And I surrender to you.
stay in that place of worship and keep the line of that song in your mind. You alone are God and I surrender to your ways. Just take a moment to ponder the, the big things in your life right now, the struggles, the worries, the concerns, perhaps for yourself, perhaps for other people. What might it mean in those situations to surrender to his ways? You alone are God. And I surrender to your ways. And Lord, we struggle with that. We struggle with the really tough things of life to surrender to your ways because, Lord, the truth is we try and work it out for ourselves. And it doesn't work. We fall back on the old formulas. I deserve this because I've been good. I deserve this because, I've what I've, because of what I've done. And they don't work either, Lord, in your kingdom. Because the <laughs> we don't deserve anything. And so, Lord, as we sit with the big things of life, as it were, on our laps. Would you enable us to see things from your view, see things through your heart, through your eyes, through your compassion? And teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach me how to pray. And Lord, as we think about the needs of others right now, we bring to you the people that we carry in our hearts. And Lord, as it were, we bring them by the hand and bring them into your presence. If you have names that you want to speak out, if you're online and want to put the names into um, the comments, then do that.
And Father, we pray for John and all the other names in this book. And ask, Lord, that you would meet each one and those that we have named before you in the place of their struggle, in the place of their need, in the place of their sickness. And Lord, we say the words that the centurion said, you need only speak the word, Lord, and they will be healed. And Lord, we say we believe, help our unbelief. And grow our faith, Lord, that we might step out in how we pray. So that the glory comes to you, Lord, always. The glory is yours. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And our final song speaks something of the mystery of this business of healing. <laughs> we cannot measure how you heal or answer every sufferer's prayer. Yet, we believe your grace responds where faith and doubt unite to care. Let's sing.
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the people said, Amen. Amen.